startuprad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from StartupRate.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany, as well as the host of the world's first internet radio station dedicated to startups and tech companies. If you'd like to lo learn more, go down here in the show notes, wherever you're listening to this or watching this, there'll be a link to our website or to our Linktree link, and there you can find all the options to subscribe to like us and if you haven't done so make sure to hit the like and subscribe button wherever you're consuming this today i would like to welcome marcus hey how you doing hi Tom. it's a pleasure to have you here and admittedly this is a kind of follow-up when i started out with startup rate.o i made an interview with one of your investors and your former co-ceo seven years ago. It was published in October 2014 at the time uh, when I was not really publishing on a regular basis. Nonetheless, this is a little bit long-term follow-up here, <laughs> just to make sure everybody knows. So um, as people can see, you are the CEO of TraxPay, and we made this interview for a special reason because the... Um, the green cell insolvency kind of tainted a little bit everything that is related to supply chain finances. So instead of just talking about your CV, your business, your company, and so on and so forth, we are going to dive a little bit deeper in what you guys are doing and why you guys actually different from them. Um, of, and of course, we we'll use a lot of special terms and everybody who'd like to learn more, go down here in the show notes to our blog post and there we'll have a link for further readings and there you'll find all the explanations of everything, almost everything we're talking about, like special terms. So you are already for quite some time at TraxPay, but I've seen you... you you had quite an interesting life before that. You've been an assistant vice president for more than a decade with Deutsche Bank. Um, you have been with Software AG, one of the big software companies here in the Rhein-Main area. You've been with Hitachi Consulting. And then at one point, you ended up with your own startup. Can you just give us a brief overview how this happened? Why did you set up TraxPay and what was kind of the incentive? Disclaimer. It, within this year, apparently most of the uh, startup founding stories involve either a bar or wine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and, and we may add uh, to the people that thanks to your daughter who's doing TikTok, you have an awesome light there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes this really helps in, in, in these times. Um, um, thanks, Joe. I'm really I'm very happy and pleased um, that you invited me to be here. Um, I think, first of all, I have to uh, you know, make clear that I was not um, 10 years at Deutsche as assistant vice president because this typically means you are not very successful. <laughs> so um, I actually you know, started my career at Deutsche and um, you do this typically in German as an apprentice. And I, I then moved moved on and um, finished as um, assistant vice president. But and, uh, to be honest, I always wanted my own business and I always wanted to create a startup. 
Um, in those years, and we are talking, you know, actually in, in the last decade, um, last millennium, there was not a lot of fantasy for a banker to have a startup. You know, this was way before fintech. This was, so, so I was actually sitting there and realized that I can't code and realized that the only thing I can do is banking. Um, I was also quite sure that after my last adventure at Deutsche, where I, I kind of had my, my first startup within the bank, you know, we, we founded um, an e-business consultancy, which was my last task. And so it was a little sniff in, in you know, being self-employed and having your own business. Um, but, you know, after 10 years, I decided, you know, if I, if I now don't leave the bank, I will stay there forever. And as much as I think that I'm still a banker and, and think like a banker, you know, I just wanted to do something different. So I then moved on and did, you know, roughly 10 years of consultancy. You, you mentioned the, the, the major points with also GFT, but software AG, um, and then Hitachi Consulting. But, you know, I, I there realized that consulting is not really a very interesting business because it doesn't scale. You know, it scales with people, but not beyond that. And so actually at, at Hitachi Consulting, I, I developed the idea of TraxPay. I was even at the stage where um, Hitachi Consulting was about to implement this. And then, you know, a lot of Japanese flew in from Japan. I mean, this is a good sign when they come to visit you. And they listened to my idea and everybody was quite excited. And then, the you know, the old guy in the room was looking at me and said, well, Marcus, it seems like everybody thinks this is a good idea. And, you know, I was, you know, kind of positive, so nodding. And then he said, and this is really true, he said, but how can this be a good idea if you're not Japanese? <laughs> and um, so, you know, I, I always heard the story. I never believed them, but um, it, they, they, killed, they killed the idea because I was not Japanese. And, you know, honestly, after that, I was really kind of, yeah, this, this isn't the place to be because I don't want to do consulting. I want to do some scale-up businesses. And, you know, the, the interesting side effect is that Hitachi Consulting was actually really found because of that, that they are going to build services um, alongside alongside their, their really hardware um, that they are building. So um, as I was not Japanese, I thought, you know, my career is not really um, going to prosper with, with, with these, this um, Japanese company. So I said, okay, if I don't do it with Sitachi, I just do it by myself and I found a trackpad. Ah, I see. That's a very interesting story. Um, and TraxPay, you founded it in 2009, so almost 12 years ago. Um, what was the idea behind it? And at the point you founded the company, what was, what was the thing, the, the, the final vision you had and How did it turn out to uh, the truth? How did vision and reality collide? <laughs> um, well, well, pretty much. So, so you know, when I when I did this, um, I was really in in all the times the last the last years at Deutsche, but also then um, my whole career as a consultant with different companies. I was always looking at payments, and I was always looking at treasury. So I was consulting banks, I was consulting large corporates, um, large treasury departments, and I realized that there's a big 
glitch and a big problem in B2B payments, which is not astonishing because, you know, when you look at the innovation and payments, it always comes from B2C. Uh, having said that, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of innovation taking place um, in payments not looking at blockchain and, and obviously what derives from that, because I think this is really some very new stuff and new innovation, which again derives or comes from, from B2C, not B2B. I still, it will still take some time until corporates will, will pay via Bitcoin if it ever happens. Um, so, so everything that is new comes from B2B, comes from B2C. But the point is, that in B2B, you have very special requirements. So I said, well, you know, if you pay invoices and if you pay invoices on a larger scale, like not one invoice, but 100 invoices or 1000 invoices, you need a lot more information. And, you know, in Germany, we have the reference field with 140 characters. In England, you used to have 10 characters. And it, it, it really, it's never enough. But in, in times where, you know, data is not limited anymore, I said, well, you can use whatever kind and amount of data to do that. And so it shouldn't be limited. And this is why, you know, we initially May, started. may I just add yes. that you're talking about uh, like the 140 characters. You're not talking about Twitter. You actually talk about the paper slip that you, that you used to fill out for um, transfers, payments uh, at your bank, and you then threw it into the mailbox of the bank they checked your uh, signature and then they transferred the money so that that's the limit you're talking about because like uh 80% of the people listening to us have never had any experience with german banking especially so so far back in time <laughs> no that's that's true but but joe the point is that even if you do you know transfers today um, the amount of data you can put into that, if it's this, this, you know, paper slip or if you do online banking is also limited to these characters because the banks just said, well, it's 140. So we stick with 140. Now, obviously, you know, in times and especially, um, since we, we know about XML, you know, I said, well, it should be much easier because you have, you know, open tag reference. You can put whatever in there you want and then close tag reference and it should be it. Um, so, so there was no necessity for that, apart from the fact that obviously, you know, banks have agreed on it's 140 characters in Europe. So we stick with that. Um, but, but again, it's, it's not enough for business purposes. And we said we need to do this differently. And luckily at that time, you know, we had um, a very strong exchange with SAP and namely at that time, Jim Hagemann Snabe, who was the CEO, because he said, you know, what you guys are doing is actually great because if you look at it again from a business perspective, you have on the buyer side an ERP system, you know, be it SAP or others, and you have on the supplier side an ERP system, and they have a full reference and fully documented the whole business processes. But whenever it comes to the payment, it's like entering a black hole and this connect is gone. So he said... If you are able to do what you want to do, it, it opens up a whole can of possibilities when it comes to, and we are now at this topic, to supply chain financing. Because, you know, if you think about what is happening there, um, that you pay invoices earlier, no matter how and when, but, you know, just use the typical example 
of an invoice that is you know 10,000 euro and it runs for 20 days and at an interest rate of 2%, it doesn't come to a lot of money. And the manual cost to really um, transfer or change this invoice and change all the processes around it to pay it early and maybe use a little dis discount and all that is much less than this 80 euro that, you know, the manual thing you have to do around that is causing. So he said it doesn't make sense. But if you are able to automate this, um, it doesn't matter because it's, it's fully automated. It's full STP, fully digitalized. Um, it, it doesn't matter. So he actually, you know, initiated this whole idea about um, if you do this, it opens up a new um, can of possibilities, not a can of worms. And and this is, you know, when I came back to TraxPay five years ago, um, after, uh, you know, I was away for three years and in the meantime, it wasn't, you know, too successful. Um, we, we, I came back and said, well, use this because we have our technology. We, we were there. We, you know, easily integrate into ERP systems, which is also something that, you know, some, some, uh, some, some people can't do really well. We had the big, big opportunity to work on that with SAP um, themselves at that time. So I came back and said, okay, let's use this idea from Jim. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Um, uh, even today. And, and put this into supply chain financing because supply chain financing as it core, at, at, at its core really helps the economy. And now with Greensill, you know, it kind of got into this, you know, shady atmosphere. And it's totally not because it just supports the economy that, you know, the smaller suppliers, also bigger suppliers, you know, have the ability to get money earlier and, and ease their cash situation and liquidity. And the larger buyers, you know, who sometimes, you know, just pay late or have long payment terms, you know, do this because they want to strengthen their KPIs. So it's it's really for the benefit of the both parties, and this is very good for the whole economy. So uh, let let me kind of wrap this a little bit up. What you guys are actually doing, because my understanding is you are enabling digital invoicing uh, from ERP to ERP system without going through the banks and the one hundred forty characters limit. Is that true? Now you need. It has evolved since then. So we are not doing digital invoicing. Um, actually, our process starts when the invoice has hit or been entered into the ERP system. So we don't care however the invoice gets there. It might be electronically. It might be that some people key it in. However it gets there. But when it's in the ERP system... And when the buyer says, okay, I'm going to pay this invoice, but maybe in 60 days, you know, we step in and say, okay, now we have different means to pay this invoice earlier. And one mechanism is that the buyer and the supplier bilaterally agree to pay the invoice early with a little discount, which is called, you know, dynamic discounting or in other means where you have not a very liquid buyer says, I can or want to pay this early. So we bring in another party, which is the financier, the bank, where the bank says, okay, dear buyer, if you tell me that you are going to pay this invoice in 60 days, 
I'm just paying the, out the invoice now with a little discount to your supplier. He has the money early and you give me the money. So those are the, you know, this is the one bilateral part, the dynamic discounting part, and the other one, the reverse factoring part, where a third party, the bank steps in and says, I'm going to bridge this liquidity gap. Mm -hmm. Understood. We may add for our audience, because not everybody has a B2B background, that there are many, many different types of invoicing and payment terms, but it's because Germany is very industry heavy and we deal in lots of machines that need time to be produced, not really digital. And so it's, it's not uncommon that you have like millions or tens of millions that are paid out like in 180 days from now. Yes. True. And when you think about that size, that uh, those terms, like 180 days, you really get where the opportunity is in there, especially in Germany heavy industry, automotive, uh, large amounts and long payment terms. True, but, you know, honestly, Joe, I think if you look at the payment terms globally, uh, and there are lots of studies out there, we are really, you know, in the in the midfield of, of, of the countries. So there are countries that, uh, you know, have way longer payment terms than we do in Germany. Um, we have countries where it's it's shorter. Um, there's actually also a law in Europe, you know, that prevents the company um, to pay after 60 days or have longer payment terms than 60 days. But this can be, you know, circumvented under under some some special um, situations. So everything exists and is out there. And at the end of the day, you know, some some suppliers are happy to deliver large corporates, even if they get paid after 90 or 120 days, because they are just good customers. And so it, it, it really varies and we have, um, we have seen everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see. And, uh, let us get a little bit back to the topic, um, of what you guys are actually doing because, uh, we've, we've been headlining this, uh, track space says it's you, we are nothing like green sill. Um, can we dive a little bit into what you guys are doing? differently than green cell? So, you know, I think first, um, if you if you look at the comparison, um, we wouldn't compare to green cell because green cell was a fund that was backing up supply chain financing platforms. So if we would be, and in our case, we don't use funds and we don't build and issue notes and put them out to market and then green cell or others are buying them. Um, we are backed by the house banks of the large corporates. And this obviously adds a lot of, you know, security to the whole system because what you want in the system, you want to have the liquidity and you want to have the certainty that if a supplier wants to be paid earlier, he will get the money. So Greensill was backing other platforms like us, and now they have those issues because they, their clients promised their buyers, hey, I promise that we will sell the notes and we will sell your invoices that you're going to refinance. And now if, and actually Greensill was backing some of them in a big way, you know, if they drop out, this whole supply chain is at risk because the liquidity is gone. And so 
you know, Greens Hill was a fund that provided money to the system, like in our um, example would be taken by banks. And as it's much more secure if you have a bank with a credit line than selling invoices in the market, by the way, it's also much faster, um, it's a different scheme and a different mechanism. So, you know, we, we did read a lot about um, Greensill and how they affect supply chain finance and how shady that is. And really the shadiness is within the fund. So it's nothing to do with supply chain finance because as I expressed earlier, I think it's really benefiting everybody in the market. It's benefiting, you know, large banks, it's benefiting um, large corporates and it's also benefiting um, small corporates, the suppliers. So this is really um, where the whole um, idea comes from to make supply chain better, more sustainable and more reliable. But only, obviously, if the fund that backs this up, you know, goes bust or has a problem, the whole system has a problem. But as I said, we avoid this because we only work as banks and um, they are, you know, very savvy and uh, very stable most of the times. At least the banks we are working with, um, I don't see an issue in the future. I see. So basically, bottom line is the Greensill Fund, it bought the receivables from like some of your competitors who do the payables, because the payables because they bought from the large corporates the buyers and it's the payables so they bought the payables and um this is how um, it happened but then as they went you know bust it kind of really doesn't make the whole system better and more secure yeah we, we just may uh, add that you cannot uh buy all the payables for the same amount so you have to have some discount and at the end they refinance it by issuing some bonds and it was a lot of um financial engineering in between going on that you can have all those payables uh, f uh put into bonds which then apparently got bought uh, by some financial institutions including but not limited to credit swiss but i do believe there will be much more appearing in the news in the specialized news over the next next year or so um bottom line is greensill was financing they used a lot of financial engineering but you guys ha have you been working with greensill in the past no never because you know we always said for us It's, you know, it, it always comes down to, and we have seen this in the financial crisis, you know, you can always, you know, maximize your income and then you maximize the risk. And sometimes you also maximize the, the potential um, of, of uh, criminal incidents. Um, so we always said, no, we, we must make sure that our clients can bank on their funds. And, you know, best way to bank on your funds bank with your bank have you gotten any feedback from banks since greensill uh, that they ask uh, hey guys are you doing the same stuff or was it clear to i assume you work with the specialized departments within the bank was it always clear to them that you guys are completely different no it's you know for the banks we work with it's very clear that we are completely different because they obviously understand the reasons I mean, everybody in the bank, you know, we have had this uh, this crisis before, 
which also happened because of bundling and rebundling and all that. So, you know, you might think that people learn the lesson. Sometimes they don't, but especially the banks who work with us um, know the difference and have understood this. Um, on the client side, obviously there was some, how should I say this, some uncertainty and questions, but it, it is easy to explain that this is exactly why we work the way we are. So now we, we see a lot of benefit, I have to say, from the case that has happened there, because now for the CFO, you know, security is even more important. I mean, you have to look at the, 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 the description, the job description of a CFO. This is about avoiding risk. And so the last thing they want to see is something happening like this. Obviously, you know, the whole industry with supply chain financing platforms is, you know, very new. So people have to learn what it is. And obviously those platforms don't go out there and say, hey, you know that you might have a risk that we can't sell your invoices. We, we can't place your notes. So they obviously go out and say, you, you know, you, you can be very sure this is all very great and very safe. And we see it's not. And so um, we did have a lot of questions. I think the answers um, pleased our, um, especially prospective clients a lot. Um, so we do see, you know, a lot of traffic and a lot of positive impact for us. Having said that, you know, it's really tragic what has happened there um, because um, a lot of people will lose a lot of money, unfortunately. And this is always, you know, something that we, we must really work on to avoid. So, Marcus, look, looking now into the future, what do you guys want to be? Where, where do you see future opportunities? Um, thanks for asking that, Joe. You know, I think, first of all, it's important that we have a very strong platform like this in Europe, from Europe. So, you know, all our main competitors do reside in the US. So I think it's good to start something here. We know all data is key and from data we will have a lot of additional businesses coming. But to put it, you know, in a really short and crisp way, we are striving to be um, the SWIFT for supply chain financing that helps banks and corporates. Do you have a few words on your outlook? What you guys are expecting for the future? Because in Germany, we talked about it. You can find it in the show notes that there was a special law in Germany in 2020. You didn't have to file for insolvency if your troubles came from Corona. Um, Do you first see a wave of insolvency? How is your outlook for like Germany? And what are your, like the tracks pay plans for the future, like conquer the world or stuff like that? Luckily, you know, we never had to care about the insolvency, insolvency issues um, around Corona because we were never at risk. We have, um, since I came back, never had any um, really financial situations where we had to look at this with Corona or without, especially with the investment of Deutsche Bank. You know, this obviously has gotten much better and even more stable. And now that many other banks see the benefit of working with us, and it was obviously also a very, you know, huge signal that one of the largest supply chain financing bank, which Deutsche Bank is, teamed up with us and, you know, partnered with us. Um, we also see a very prospering future. Well, 
only thing left for me to say. Best of luck for conquering the world with TraxPay. It was a pleasure having you, and hopefully the next follow-up will not take like uh will not take like seven years. <laughs> no, I, I promise, you know, we can I'm happy to do this on a more regular basis. I think um, there are very, you know, interesting news that are coming up in, in the recent times. It might even be worth um, looking at these um, issues then again, but I'm really looking forward um, to keep in touch and thanks a lot for inviting me. Thank you. Pleasure was all mine. If you are a professional looking at the European startup scene, Germany is a place you cannot miss. Fortunately for you, there is StartupRad.io, the authority on German startups. This English-only podcast brings you fresh interviews each week. Most likely, you have never heard or read anything on these startups before in English, but you will in the future. Be ahead of the curve and subscribe to StartupRad.io podcast or check for the StartupRad.io internet radio station. Check your Alexa for the StartupRad.io skill as well.